Thursday, finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. And before we get on to currencies and commodities, Stephen Pritchard, um, Airbnb, I read recently that um, your house, of course, you use it um, for Airbnb and you find you can get something back, but um, there are consequences. Um, yeah, I mean, when you rent your place out through Airbnb, you, you, you're carrying on a business of uh, of a um, accommodation business, and so that would mean, of course, that the income you get is assessable and you get to offset the, the deductions against that. But, of course, the unthought of consequences that people don't think about is that is going to make your house lose its capital gains tax exemption. So your house is exempt from capital gains tax while it's solely used as your principal place of residence. Now, once you start carrying on a business from that house, it's no longer a solely a residence, it's business premises. So, you know, you need to think about you know, how much capital gains tax liability you're potentially going to incur on the sale of this house that you wouldn't otherwise have thought. Now, people will say, oh, look, the, the tax office will never find out about this. But um, recently in, in the firm, we've started getting notices from the ATO um, for Uber drivers, who are people who have been out driving Uber cars and, you know, hasn't been put in their tax return, and um, we didn't know about it, and the tax officers said, you know, We've been advised that you've received this much income and, you know, it hasn't been declared in your tax return. So they're obviously data matching on Uber and I suspect it's only going to be a matter of time if, if they haven't already, they're going to start data matching on income from from uh, Airbnb. So so you need to think carefully about if you're going to use Airbnb, what is the tax consequences if you're going to rent out your, your principal place of residence and possibly lose the capital gains tax exemption. And does that work the same if you have an office and you work from home? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. If the business is run from home and you're claiming tax deductions on that proportion of the home for the home office, yeah, yeah, that's 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 um, that will lose the capital gains tax exemption. Okay. And now, that's different. Mm-hmm. That's if you're actually running the business from home. That is different if you just take a bit of work home and. And, and you know, do it in the the room, or, or or you've got it off for somewhere, and you just take some work home and do it home for convenience. Mm. Um, but if you're actually running the business from home, you've got a front room at the front of the house, and you're running some internet business from there. Um, you, it makes that part proportion of the property exam, lose its CGT exemption as well. Okay, interesting topic. Mm. Yeah, so so Airbnb people, um, I'd suspect uh, you know if you're not declaring on your tax return or don't think you have to declare it, I, I think you need to think about that again because I know a lot of Uber people didn't think they had to declare that either. And now they're getting these letters. Mm. In other words, if you get income, you are supposed to declare it. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Pay tax on it. Yes. In the meantime, what's happening with uh, commodities? And um, things, the commodities. Um, the gold. Pro- the gold price was down one percent on the week to fifteen hundred eighty-seven dollars uh, per ounce. Um, the copper price was pretty much steady at $6,566 a tonne and the crude oil price was down 2.3% to $62.12 a barrel. Um, the currency, uh, the Australian dollar was up again around the world so it's a bit cheaper for those people tripping off overseas. Mm. Um, we're 76.7 US cents um, which is up 1.2% of the week, uh, 59.57 uh, pence in the UK and uh, 67.26 euro cents. 
So it's a bit less expensive for those tripping overseas. Excellent. Uh, the world markets were the world markets were were were, were um, pretty much steady, except Australia's was down. Um, so we were we were five thousand seven hundred seventeen at the close of yesterday, which is down one point three percent of the week. So we're slipping further and further away from that magic six thousand. Uh, the UK was up one percent on the week to seven thousand four hundred sixteen, and the Hang Seng, which is Hong Kong index, was up two point two percent. To 26,043. Um, a couple of stocks that local investors are interested in. BHP's continuing its upward trend to $24.88, which is up 2.3% um, of the week. Uh, CBA was down 1% to $82.12. Um, NIB was down 1% to $5.81. And Telstra was down uh, 1% to $4.32. So no real surprises there with the with the market overall falling. And the the unleaded fuel price um, in, in Newcastle was $1.15.4, which is down 2% of the week, which surprised me because we're in school holidays. But anyhow, and in Sydney it was up, the trend. up in Sydney it was up 6% to $1.17. So that's all right because we we only worry about. <laughs> filling up here and the diesel price in Newcastle was very similar to last week $1.23.6 um, and Sydney was also similar $1.24.4 so no moving in diesel prices no problems there Market update time and Henry Jennings from the Markets Today Financial Newsletter joins us over to you Stephen Pritchard Henry um, what, what's, what's happening down at Bellamy's there? It's a huge oh, mess. I have to feel a little bit sorry for these guys. They they bought a um, a, a a canning business called uh, Camperdown Powder, um, which had a license for um, production into China. Um, the problem is that it seems that one of their competitors or a third party seems to have dumped them in for some reason, um, and their license has been suspended, and with it the share also has been suspended. Um, so we haven't seen Bellamy's trade for some time. They're desperately trying to get the license unsuspended. Um, it does seem to relate to um, some events before, uh, well, historically some events, so um, way back in the past. But um, certainly it's a bit of a concern that a third party or a competitor can just dub you into the licensing authorities in China and they suspend your license. So, um, you know, it does, I guess, put into question some of the... Uh, the business logic of, uh, of of doing stuff up there, and uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens to Bellamy's when they come back on. They're hoping to get the license reinstated very soon, and uh, they were talking Saturday, but it's obviously a little bit of a blow, seeing as they just raised a whole bunch of money to pay for this business, um, and it only settled a couple of days before this uh, this announcement. So, not not a great look. And I think I think was talking about making them offer, making them let people mm. withdraw the subscription monies. Has there been an update on that? Um, I haven't no, heard I haven't any more any. from ASIC, but um, certainly there was some talk that under some uh, subsection 3, part 2B, um, they were uh, you know, shareholders would have the ability to have their money returned. I guess the, um, the, uh, the issue is um, Bellamy's was suspended at $6.70, um, and the share placement was done at $4.75. Yes. So you wouldn't really think that shareholders would want their cash back um, you would think they'd be quite happy with the uh, with the rise in the share price, but of course the shares haven't come back on trading yet, so that rise to six seventy odd might not be quite so um, quite so be so clear cut, I guess. Yes, and clear cut. Your your favourite telco company's now got a second <laughs> bid on the table and hoping yeah. to get a third or a fourth or a fifth or something. Well, the, 
they've had another bid. They've now got Affinity Equity and uh, KKR bidding for them. The problem is that they're both bidding the same price. So it's, you know, people talk about an auction and a bidding war. At the moment, it's kind of a bidding truce. Um, we, We have both parties keen to have a look at the books, and the board has granted them both due diligence to have a look through the books, and I guess the board is hoping that they can talk either or both up uh, up in price because 350 is is kind of a long way away from uh, where they have been yes. um the share price is currently trading there unfortunately the, the problem with these private equity bids is they're very conditional they've got lots of terms they've got lots of issues um and you know they really just want to have a look at the books first before they uh, make their final offer i guess and we see it well we saw it with fairfax where they had uh, two uh, two parties bidding for Fairfax, and both actually dropped out when they had a look at the books. So there's certainly no guarantee that any of the deals will go ahead, and there's also hopes that uh, one of the former founders of, uh, of M2, which was folded into Vocus, uh, James Spensley, will uh, also get involved as well. So you never know, you might have three parties. Mm, all um, bidding the same price in the same terms. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not all bidding the same price, no. <laughs> yes, and then then uh, the battle for Ardent's uh, uh, heating up, and, and uh, the bowling alley business in the US, as we predicted, is not performing as well as everyone thought it would. No, uh, well, there's a surprise. No, uh, um, obviously, with Charlie Sheen off the uh, off the screens in Two and a Half Men, um, with his bowling shirts, it's um, obviously not uh, not in vogue at the moment in the US. So, Ardent Leisure are very much sort of focused on their US bowling alley business. And, of course, they have the theme parks in Queensland. And they had a new shareholder. They've got uh, Ariadne's uh, a substantial shareholder, and they're sort of jostling around for change and board seats. And they've also got um, a uh, Hong Kong Chinese property developer, now a substantial uh, shareholder. And Sumitomo uh, has uh, revealed this morning they've got 5% oh. of the company. So, um, yeah, there's, there's lots and lots of fun and games, I guess, uh, with this one to come. Um, I'm not quite sure where it's all going to end up but you'd like to see um you know certainly helping the share price recover a little bit but you know, they're still languishing at you know just over two bucks at the moment so um yeah certainly the, the management is very clearly under siege from uh, from a number of fronts now not just ariadne and uh, and the uh, the chinese and uh, and now the japanese so fun and fun and games i'd imagine in the boardroom mm. and uh deborah's departed the boardroom Yes. Yes. And so uh, down, 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 down has extended its offer for Spotless, which is which surprises me that the people <laughs> couldn't couldn't rush to accept fast enough. I don't know why this is still going on. To be honest, it's um, I don't know what anybody else is expecting. I think Down has got around sixty five percent now of Spotless. They've extended the deadline till um, the twenty first of July. Um, Spotless is kind of trading exactly where they should. Um, given the dollar uh, fifteen offer on the table. So I'm not sure what anybody else is holding out for, um, but certainly it, it, uh, the market is taking it as a bit of a pyrrhic victory uh, for Downer. They're not really sure that this is the way to go in terms of growth. Um, this, the rationale for buying spot still seems a little bit unclear. So um, although um, it would be nice to put this behind us so the company could move on and, and start to do its work with uh, with Spotless, um, the market isn't really convinced that it's, uh, it's a good thing to do anyway. And um, the long-running court case against B- B- 
by against Sol Person and Brickworks by Perpetual. So Perpetual's uh, lost that, and it looks like they're going to have 15 minute costs against them. Yeah, um, this is obviously well. This was the, the move to break up this cross shareholding between Brickworks and Sol Person, which has long been, um, I guess, a complication for some investors. And it's uh, Perpetual were arguing that if they could break apart this uh, this cross shareholding, it would release more value for uh, for shareholders. Um, the courts have uh, ruled that actually um, the directors are doing a good job and um, they don't see any reason why this should be broken up. So perpetual, a uh, bit of a loss for them, but I guess it won't stop them in terms of activism in, uh, in, in, in moving for change in various uh, companies, but uh, certainly a bit of a loss for them. And, of course, those, uh, those large court case fees to pay as well. Yeah, so we might just come back in a minute and talk about what's happening down at Woolworths with their service stations. Thanks, Harry. And the uh, long, long-awaited sale of, by Woolworths of their, their service stations to uh, proposed to BP seems to have been deferred because of delays at the ACCC. Yeah, I think the ACCC is a, a, a busy bunny at the moment. Um, there's a number of uh, things that they've been looking at. They, they've got a, um, you know, they've got um, they're looking at the TAPS and TABCorp thing, um, which has been delayed as well. So this is you know, they obviously haven't got enough lawyers or administrators to look at everything. Um, and this was a 1.8 billion dollar um, purchase by um, by BP, um, and um, yeah, it's um, it's going to be a little while, I think. So yeah, don't hold your breath on this one, or on the Tats one either. I think they're talking you know months and months uh, before that one uh, gets sorted out as well. Yeah, yeah, you've got you've got to wonder why these things take so long. I mean, well, I guess it's uh, it's resourcing, and uh, you know they probably have. Um, And so there seems to, on another note with Woolworths, there seems to be a, a bread war developing between Coles and Woolworths, much like the milk war. Yeah. With, with the price of breads dropping 35%. Well, I was at, I've actually popped across the Coles this morning to get some milk, and uh, their very prominent uh, bread war has started. Um, their sort of normal um, plastic bread um, is down from a dollar ninety to a dollar eighty a loaf. Um, this is the new front that the two of them are fighting on. We've, of course, we've had milk wars, we've had egg wars, and now we've got uh, bread wars. Plastic bread wars. Plastic bread wars. Yes, they they haven't. But although some of the uh, um, things like fruit loaf and those sorts of things have been uh, reduced in price as well. So, yeah, it's uh, obviously hotting up. Woolworths has taken it very much to Coles recently, and if you look at the share price performance of uh, West Farmers against Woolies, uh, West Farmers has been pretty. Pretty anemic, to be honest. It's been it's been trending down for some time, whereas Woolies has kind of held relatively solidly, um, which I guess shows the, uh, the sort of the amount of um, they've caught up, I guess, with uh, with Coles, and they, they put a big effort into uh, into price cutting and uh, and getting things right, having been sort of in the wilderness for a while. So um, it's um, the, the war. Well, the, the winning side seems to be uh, Woolies at the moment, but uh, Coles will fight back. And of course, in the in the background, you got Aldi, IGA, and all the other people. So it's um, it's a very competitive space these days. Yeah, and the other the other competitive space is this homewares business. Now, Adairs has been a, a bit of a disappointment, and the, mm. you know, inflated at two dollars forty, and I think they were down to about sixty cents a couple yeah. of weeks ago. But yeah, they, but they, but because of the the cold weather, they 
they seem to have made some kind of recovery. Yeah, well, Adair had a uh, had a big profit warning uh, sort of at the end of uh, October last year, um, which they seem to have got a lot of merchandising and products sort of mixed wrong, um, and sales really suffered. It looks like it's gone the other way this time, and they've got everything right. The weather's helped them as well, um, being a little chilly. People have rushed in for cosy stuff. And, um, you know, the share price went absolutely bananas yesterday. Um, it, uh, you know, it was up around, uh, oh, it, it, it's 30 odd percent, I think it was. It was just crazy stuff. It's, um, it's kicked on a little bit as well today. It's only up 1%. Um, but, uh, yeah, as you say, it hit a low of, um, you know, around, oh, it was actually 57 cents. Um, during the uh, the June tax loss selling, and now it's a uh, dollar thirty. So mm-hmm. um, you could have doubled your money in a dares. Um, nice. Sometimes all you've got to do with some of these retail stocks is uh, sit outside a store for an hour and see how many people come and go, see how many people are buying stuff, and yeah. you can make a bit of a your own research assessment of how things are going. Well, I mean that's what Peter Lynch used to do. Mm. Yeah, but well, apparently, if you saw, apparently they've got this line of uh, pink velvet dunas that are selling extraordinarily well. Ah. Yes, yes. Well, I haven't, I haven't actually got one of no, those. No, neither have I. But, but it sounds but, like we should rush out, Stephen. And well, the way the to... weather's been up here, we should. And yeah. well, it's, uh, not only the way the weather's been, but um, I guess with the uh, the power price shock, oh. um, it's um, you know people are reluctant to turn on their heaters. I noticed there was one coalition MP this morning saying that people are going to die because they're too scared to turn on the heaters because of the power it's consuming. Well, I think the Coalition MP needs to ring up Jeff Kennett because all this problem goes back to his failed privatisation policies. Whatever happened to all the money we were going to save when they did away with the carbon tax? <laughs> what happened to that? <laughs> Wasn't that Tony Abbott's big, you know, everyone's going to be $250 a year well, better off? Well, I think the power's gone up 400, 40% since then. I've just, I've just got my power bill. It's extraordinary. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. extraordinary. I've only got two of us now. Two, I've got two kids overseas, and still the bill was enormous. Yep. Yeah, I know. Crazy stuff. Yeah, no, you, you make a bit of savings and cut back, and you kind of get the power bill down, and then it goes up 20% again. Yeah. And, and, they, and they also, um, that you can save 50 bucks if you pay on time. Yeah, well, but the trouble is no one's got any money to pay on time, so that's no, that's well, become another have, profit maker. You have to take out a second mortgage just to pay your electricity bill. That's now. right. Or, or you could get the Marcus Today newsletter and help you make some <laughs> money. So how can you well, get that? Well, you can. You could go to uh, themarcustoday.com.au, sign up for a free trial, um, or give the lovely Nikki a buzz and she will sort you out, or Chi-Chi, um, and uh, you'll get all the lowdown on what's happening in the market and all the good things to buy. We're having a, a pretty good run at the moment with our... Um, trading portfolio we've got some pretty big uh, gains there so um yeah I urge some listeners to uh, to take up the trial and then we can be back next week and see how we're going next week exactly okay thanks Henry. thanks Stephen. Stephen pritchard um insurance and your superannuation yeah these days a lot of, a lot of people um have insurance incorporated in their superannuation policy and, and a lot of them don't actually take any notice of that of course until something goes wrong and and one of the big issues you need to be careful of is when you're consolidating your superannuation policies which we, we tell people to do all the time um, and if you're going to do it yourself uh, you need to make sure you look at the insurance coverage as, as, as part of that consolidation process so, so they'll be different for each yeah, different, different policies. policies will have different and, and, and you might want to increase your insurance so we thought we'd just get um, Ian along today to talk about um, insurance in, in superannuation policies Ian 
So, so what types of insurance cover can be provided by superannuation funds? Uh, generally, Stephen, there's uh, three types of insurance that uh, members would have with their super. Uh, the first type is uh, TPD or total and permanent disability, and that generally pays a lump sum if you're unable to work ever again in a job which you're reasonably qualified for. Uh, the second type of uh, cover is for death, and that uh, pays a lump sum uh, on the death of the member, uh, and it also pays a lump sum to a member if they are diagnosed with a terminal illness. So that's an, an important factor that people should be aware of. Uh, it's simply not just uh, death, but there's that terminal illness benefit there as well. And the third type of uh, insurance is income protection or salary continuance, uh, and it pays a regular payment of generally up to 85% of your income if you are unable to work due to illness or injury. And that income protection may be payable for a set time, uh, for instance, for two years, or up to a certain age, uh, such as 65. Uh, but there are different options uh, with those, so you need to look at what options are available to you within your own fund. So, so if, the, if you've, you've got, in, for example, income protection, which is probably the, the least common one, in, inside your superannuation fund, and you make a claim on that, can the fund then pay you that money out? Uh, generally, the payment would be made to you from the insurer. Right, so it's it's not preserved in the, the fund. Correct, yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's yeah. So that's an interesting thing you, you could look at. And um, what what levels of cover? So so I know I know a lot of funds have um, a uh, particularly my super funds have to have a default level of insurance in them. Mm-hmm. So what's typically the the level of cover, and what happens if you want to top top the insurance yes. up? Uh, there are generally uh, two lots of uh, or levels of cover that you find in your super. There's a default cover, and that is the automatic cover, which is applied to anyone effectively joining the scheme. Uh, there are some conditions on that, in uh, mainly related to your employment, uh, so that the employer that is paying the money into the scheme on your behalf, you must be at work on the day that cover commences. So there are a few rules there to uh, protect the insurer from uh, people uh, doing something against the insurer to get a a, a benefit. Um, The default levels of cover, they generally change with uh, the member's age. For instance, if you're under 20, the death benefit cover might be $20,000 and the TPD cover, say, $50,000. Then as you move up into your mid-30s, the default cover might increase the death cover to say 140,000 and the TPD cover to 90,000 and then as you get closer to retirement say at age 60 the death cover might be uh, decreased down to about $10,000 or $6,000 TPD and uh, cover generally ceases say at age 70 so uh, you need to be aware of what uh, cover is applicable to the age group that you're in. So but if we're talking about someone in their thirties, um, and and the default covers what one hundred and forty thousand or something, yep. that that doesn't seem sufficient. So so you've got a couple someone in their thirties, um, you know they've they've got a mortgage on the house which these days must be close to six hundred thousand, yep. a couple of kids yep. or something. One hundred and forty thousand is not going to go far for the family. So what can they do then? Um, most funds will offer the option for members to take out additional voluntary cover. And uh, some of those uh, 
levels are achieved without any extra uh, uh, paperwork uh, or underwriting. But the levels of cover can go up to uh, approximately $10 million for the case of death cover or $3 million for TPD cover. So it's important for a member to assess uh, what their own insurance needs are and see how they can be satisfied through their superannuation fund. So those higher levels of cover, say, for example, $10 million, the insurer's going to want a medical certificate? They certainly will, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so the higher level, the, the more underwriting. And we're going to have a... Taking a look at insurance and your superannuation fund with Ian Morandi, who's CEO of Nationwide Superannuation, based in Newcastle. So there's various ways to, 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 to obtain, you know, additional death and total and permanent stable insurance. So what are the, what is the sum of the advantages of obtaining these through your, through your superannuation fund rather than going directly to the insurer? Uh, there, there's a number of advantages there, Stephen. Uh, first of all, it's easier to obtain the default cover and uh, without the need for any medicals. Uh, the uh, policy is provided through the trustees of the fund for... Uh, members and so it's like a one-size-fits-all uh, comers basis and therefore if you qualify uh, to join the fund and satisfy the at-work requirements then you're granted the default level of cover. Uh, it's also uh, particularly the fact that uh, both TPD and death cover are offered as a bundle so you don't need to apply for those separately. Uh, they can be both obtained at the same time uh, the premium payable on the insurance is generally at a very competitive rate too because it's been provided under bulk rates by the insurer to the fund, uh, particularly based on the numbers of members in the fund. And So if you're in a fund with uh, 50,000 members or 100,000 members or a couple of million members, then that's taken into account by the insurer when they're uh, uh, working out the price of the premiums. Yeah, I, I know from our firm that, that there's a there's a there's a large discount mm. available if you're if you're in a pool. Yes. Rather than just taking out the insurance separately. Correct. So I can, yes. I can imagine, you know, there's only twelve or so in our pools, yeah. and, and we're getting a huge discount on the individual policies. Yeah. So I imagine there'd be there'd be even bigger discounts in the in a, a fund that's got, you know couple hundred thousand members. Yeah, it's very competitive. Yeah. Um, also, you can uh, salary sacrifice uh, into your super to cover the cost or offset the cost of the insurance uh, premiums that are being deducted from your, your account. So it means that uh, you're able to maintain the integrity of your superannuation for retirement purposes, uh, but uh, pay your effectively pay the contributions or the premium for the insurance through salary sacrifice. And from a cash flow management point of view, if you have insurance uh, that you've taken out yourself, uh, the payment of those would be coming out of your income or savings, whereas with your superannuation the premium is being deducted from your account. And so it makes it easier from a cash flow point of view uh, for the your household expenses. And it effectively makes the premium tax deductible. Yes. Yeah, so so it's coming out of your, 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 your um, pre-tax income instead yes. of your post-tax, yeah. which, you know, on someone, on someone on the top marginal tax rate, that's equivalent to a 50% reduction in the premium, yeah. in effect. And so, yeah. what you know, of course, everything, there's always, for advantages, there's always some disadvantages. So what are the disadvantages if you take this insurance out through your super? Yeah. 
Uh, one of the disadvantages is that the default cover may not meet all of your insurance needs. So uh, you shouldn't make an assumption that because it's a default level, level of cover and it's been given to you uh, very easily, that it will meet all of your needs. And so people need to assess what their insurance needs are, uh, what their financial situation would be in the case of either death or uh, being uh, totally and permanently disabled. And uh, so you need to uh, make sure that uh, you have enough cover to meet your needs and not just accept the default. Uh, and because the insurance is provided through your superannuation fund, uh, the payments that you receive uh, have to comply with superannuation rules or uh, known as conditions of release. So there's that extra level of, uh, I suppose, processing that needs to occur uh, when an insurance payout is made through a superannuation fund. Uh, and then uh, as premiums are deducted from your super, uh, it means that your super benefit at the retirement may be less than it otherwise would be. So you need to take that into account too which, of the benefit which, which, of... Which you can do by increasing your that, Exactly, yes, yeah. yeah. But if you don't increase your contributions, you have to be aware that uh, the trade-off for having the insurance cover is that your retirement benefit may be less than it would otherwise be. And also, if you have specific needs, particularly around your insurance, you may need to get additional insurance outside of your super as well. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's a factor to be taken into account when assessing your super. Okay, and then we've just got... Um, Anything else you need to know? Yes, and <laughs> what else do we need to know? Uh, just uh, with uh, looking at your uh, superannuation, you need to work out what your insurance needs are. Uh, a lot of funds have a website calculator now where you can go in and put in your individual circumstances, uh, mortgage, mortgage etc., uh, how far it is before retirement, and they will help you to calculate uh, an, an amount that might cover your uh, needs in the case of uh, one of those uh, unfortunate events. Uh, and also uh, be aware of what the insurance in your super will and won't cover. Uh, because it's a default cover, it's a one-size-fits-all, so uh, don't make an assumption that it is going to cover all of your needs and it will be paid automatically. And just one tip for the new year? Uh, make sure that your contact details are up to date with your fund, uh, particularly with the rollout of the NBN. If your email address, for instance, has changed, make sure that uh, you keep in touch with your super fund and annual statements will be sent out in July or August, so when they come out, make sure you check the details on those, such as the investment option insurance cover, the contributions received, fees, etc., because all of those are going to uh, impact on your retirement. Okay. And that's Thursday Finance for today. Many thanks to Ian Morandi for coming in. Many thanks to Stephen Pritchard, and Many we'll do it all Jack. again next Thursday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>